You're listening to an ACCA podcast. Um, good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us, and welcome to the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. My name is Max Delaney, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you this evening to this public forum exploring Indigenous art and curatorial practice. To begin with, I'd like to acknowledge the Boomerang, sovereign custodians and traditional owners of the land upon which we meet, along with Kulin, the Kulin Nation, the Wurundjeri and all Kulin Nations, and we extend our respect to Elders past, present and emerging, and to all First Nations people who join us this evening. Tonight's forum coincides with our current exhibition, The Lightness of Spirit is a Measure of Happiness, which is the inaugural exhibition in the Yalingwa series, a partnership between Creative Victoria, ACCA and Tarawara Museum of Art, designed to support the development of outstanding contemporary Indigenous art and curatorial practice. The Yalingwa Initiative will take place in three editions over a six-year period and encompasses three two-year positions for First Nations curators, three major exhibitions alternating between Aka and Tarawara, which are focused on new commissions by contemporary Indigenous artists, and three artist fellowships with Destiny Deacon, who has recently announced the first Yalingwa Fellow. The Stevens Forum will consider the role of the curator in relation to Indigenous artists and communities, exploring recent tendencies, interesting models and challenges involving in curating Indigenous art today. Hannah Presley, to my left, is the inaugural Yalingwa curator who will chair the conversation this evening. Hannah has put together our current exhibition over the past 12 months with great dexterity, passion and thinking, along with a playful spirit and an engaged collaboration with the participating artists. Hannah has also convened this evening's panel and we're delighted to welcome down to Melbourne our three guest speakers, all of whom are eminent senior and emerging curators working in our state and national galleries. So it's a great pleasure to introduce Tina Baum, Curator of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art at the National Gallery of Australia, Bruce McLean, Curator of Indigenous Australian Art at the Queensland Art Gallery and Gallery of Modern Art in Brisbane, and Kobe Edgar, Assistant Curator of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Tina, Bruce and Kobe are also meeting with artists whilst in Melbourne as part of Yellingwa's wider remit to support the practice of First Nations artists from South East Australia and to consider their work as part of a wider national dialogue. The forum is supported by the Federal Government's Indigenous Languages and Arts Program and I'd also like to acknowledge our State Government partner Creative Victoria and the City of Melbourne who support our public programs. So without further ado, please welcome Hannah, Tina, Bruce and Kobe. Thank you so much, Max. Um, it's important that I too acknowledge the elders and families of the Kulin Nations, in particular the Boonwurrung and Wurundjeri people. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge all the First Nations people here and thank everybody for coming. Uh, so, yeah, my name's Hannah and I curated um, A Lightness of Spirit is the Measure of Happiness. Um, as Max was saying, this is the first show in a six-year program, um, which is, I'm really excited to see what comes next. Um, it's been amazing working um, having the opportunity to work at ACCA um, and also to create uh, new commissions, a show built around brand new work um, by Indigenous artists across the nation but with a focus on the southeast. Um, so we've had a quick little intro from Max but I'd love for you all to um, talk a little bit more about who you are and, and what you've been doing. I thought it might be nice, Bruce, to start with you by telling us a little bit about your current exhibition, Visible, uh, which is a retrospective with Tony Albert. It'd be lovely to hear a little bit about the curator-artist relationship with that one. Sure. Watermelly. Um, I'd like to also um, 
acknowledge and pay my respects to the owners of this country here. It's a beautiful country, a bit cold, but beautiful nonetheless. Um, and um, just thank you for all coming today. This is a great crowd to sort of um, uh, be in front of and speak to. Um, uh, my uh, work at the um, Queensland Art Gallery and the Gallery of Modern Art um, is, is a, I guess, a, a role of catch-up. Um, I've, I've been engaged in um, doing a lot of solo exhibitions, retro retrospective exhibitions for Aboriginal artists, both contemporary and artists who've come before, um, who are never acknowledged by, um, you know, the, the mainstream European art scene and history of this country. So writing that history um, past and building on it into the future is really important. And Tony Albert is, a, I guess, a younger generation, but um, very much established um, uh, artist um, with um, heritage to um, around Cardwell area and further north in Cookie country, um, who um, works with historical, um, particularly kitsch, vintage, um, racist um, uh, objects um, from the past that he started collecting when he was five or six years old. Um, uh, they're, you know, things like um, the heads of, you know, imaginary Aboriginal people. Um, and um, very much stereotypes. Um, but when he saw them, he thought they were, you know, famous because when you're Aboriginal, um, you know, in that period in the 1980s, young kid, um, you see an Aboriginal face on a plate, you think that they're famous. You don't see Aboriginal people in the media, you don't see, you know, a couple of sportsmen, but um, outside of that, you know, you're not on home and away, you're just not part of this country, not part of the social fabric of the country in that way. So he, he it was very innocent, it wasn't until later that he started to realise those sort of racist connotations of that work. So um, the work he does is nuanced and it's layered in that way because he, he genuinely has this affection for them but is also repulsed and that's, uh, I guess, uh, an interesting sort of metaphor for history as well. You know, there's, there are these connections that we have to objects, to history, to, to all of these things that... Um, but also there's this, you know, revulsion or repulsion and we have to live with them and we have to navigate that space. Um, so working with Tony on that exhibition has been really interesting because... You know, I've known Tony for 16, 17 years, um, professionally and personally. Um, we went through a traineeship at the Art Gallery together 16 years ago. Um, and, you know, we used to go to the pub, drink, sleep on each other's couches, um, spew in each other's toilets. Um, and um, so it was great having somebody that, that I was that close to, but um, the project was initially pitched by a, a curator from New York, Maura Riley, who I'll um, acknowledge as part of that process as well. Um, uh, so it came in through another curator who then moved back to America and couldn't take on the project anymore, so I was able to step in, which, you know, it, it helped having that long history uh, as well with the artist. Um, but you know, a lot of the work that, that I do and that a lot of us do as uh, First Nations curators is about having those connections with people and building those connections um, 
uh, and from that, those outcomes and projects sort of happen. I, um, I also find with a lightness of spirit how important those relationships are when you have a short time frame, a massive project, or in this case, 10 massive projects all running at the same time. Um, I think as Indigenous curators, we really um, need to have those solid relationships and that open communication. Um, Tina, you've uh, just curated the... Um, Defying Empire, the triannual show at uh, National Gallery of Australia, which has toured, which is amazing. Um, it'd be great to hear a little bit about the process of pulling a show of that scale together. The process, well, we've only got how much time? Yeah. Um, firstly, I'd also like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the traditional custodians and, and uh, again, thank my uh, colleagues here for uh, having me here today. Um, as a Larrakia waterman and Garajari woman from the Northern Territory, for me, it was vital to have those relationships with the artists in Defying Empire. So there were 30 artists um, that I had to whittle down from 68, I think, was my kind of overall list. So it was a really hard process. How do you choose, um, you know, contemporary artists, Indigenous artists in Australia that you want in a major show. There are so many that you could choose from, um, you know, whether they're early career, mid um, or established. Um, it was a really hard, hard process. But, you know, like, like Hannah said, it always comes back to those relationships. And so even if you don't know an artist, for me it's always important to get to know them first and, you know, go through that whole um, getting to know each other um, finding out, you know, where we are kind of placed in each other's, you know, um, uh, early relationship, I suppose, when you're getting to know each other. Um, so it's a hard one. Um, and the process, God, I can't even answer that. That's just too big. But, um, you know, it, with the 30 artists, it was, you know, Defying Empire was a, a national show, so it had to have representations from across the country. So, again, even then, you know, choosing artists in the different regions is, is just a horrible process. Um, but, you know, I was really happy with the artists that I had in the end. And, um, you know, once you get to meet them, go out to country, um, go out to their country, um, and when they come to um, Canberra, particularly when you host them, you know, you do, you treat them like, like friends and family. So, you know, it's not just someone that you're working with, you know, they end up becoming quite, um, you know, close relationships um, at times that you still sort of catch up um, over the years. But, you know, as mentioned, it is travelling as well, so it's wonderful that it's got a life after the, um, the opening in, in May last year in Canberra. So um, it will actually be coming to Mildura next year, so uh, keep an eye out for that, um, the, the smaller version of it at least anyway. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, just the, 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 the first thing, I think the most important part of uh, an exhibition of that size is the relationships, you know, because you've got, you're the go-between between the organisation and the community and you want the best experience for them um, and you will go through hell and high water to make that the best experience you can. Um, and likewise for the organisation, the institution, to understand where communities and artists are coming from, you know. So it's a, 
it's a it's a hard role to play as as uh, an Aboriginal curator in a big big it's big white national institution, um, and you know if not for colleagues in the sector and for the support from and the support from the artists, you know it can be a really really tough tough gig. But um, you know I think if you really work on those those relationships within and without the in in the organisation, then you know, it can can be quite a good experience in the end. So I, I quite enjoyed it. it. Yes, like most exhibitions, it nearly kills you, but it's worth it. You know, when you see the... When you give the artists the platform and an opportunity to showcase themselves, um, and particularly for me working at the National Gallery at a national level, um, I, I, I will jump at that chance any any time I can. Um, but, yeah, if you don't have those relationships, then, yeah, that's not good, so... I, um, I think art centres play a really important role as well in National Indigenous Arts practice. Um, and I found working uh, with the APY lands, with both Mimali and Iwancha Arts, um, that that, uh, that communication with the art centre coordinators was really important. Um, Kobe, I know that um, in your role at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, you also do a lot of outreach work with Desart. Can you give us a bit of a sense of what that is about and what the aims for that program are? Yeah, sure. So that's a, um, an ongoing relationship that I've had with Desart for, um, I reckon, about six or seven years now. Um, so it's it's always been really important with me um, to, to continually go out and have that contact at least once a year. Um, so. I got invited to um, teach some of the art workers. So the art workers are employed by the art centre to prime canvases and, um, you know, photograph works and catalogue works and um, all the rest of that. And um, I was invited to help them to, um, I guess, hang the show, the photography prize, so the Art Worker Photography Prize, which is um, a desert initiative where they, they were trying to encourage art centre workers to um, upskill and learn how to use a camera. So um, they would submit photographs and then um, Desart gets them framed and then there's an EOI that's sent out um, and art centre workers then apply to come into Alice Springs during their Desert Mob Symposium. Um, and then I work with them one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's um, you know, mainly just like, you know, it's a bit of everything. It's a bit of conservation. It's a bit of um, installation. It's a little bit of, um, you know, I get them to do the labels, which they hate. <laughs> Um, lots and lots of labels, and if it's not right, then I chuck it in the bin and I'm like, try again. <laughs> um, if there's a dent in it or if it's, you know, got pencil marks on it and just trying to get them to understand that and I bring, um, you know, condition reports from different institutions so that they can see what a registrar and, um, you know, the conservators do when a work is, comes into a gallery space. And, um, you know, they're different ages. Sometimes um, I'll have... You know, I think one year I had four senior men and one young girl who would have been about 18 years old, Wendy. She was gorgeous. Um, but the first thing with that is, um, you know, the first thing we do is sit down and say, who are you, where are you from? And then the conversation starts from there and they get more comfortable. A lot of the time they're very shy. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a young woman who's come in from the city to teach them for five days. Um, that's a difficult position for me to put myself into sometimes, um, especially when they're senior men, um, because I have to keep that level of respect and understand my place within 
um, within that teaching platform. Um, but it's been really, really successful and there have been people who come back and um, redo the program and usually with them, um, I put them into the teaching role. So I'm like, this is your second year, you can teach them how to measure up the wall um, and you can teach them how to do this. And so it becomes, it's become a really, really um, amazing relationship that I, I have been able to keep throughout all of my positions where every place that I've worked at is um, encourages me and allows me to go um, go up there and it's it's a beautiful thing because then when they come into Sydney or wherever I'm working they have that friendly face they know they have a, a sense of um, of comfort um, and also I'm learning about their art centers I'm learning about what's going on um, you know I can have someone um, you know a group of 10 people and each one of them will come from different regions around the desert. So straight away, it's benefiting me. Um, I don't know what else you want me to say oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, that's, that sounds like a wonderful program. I think we're all really conscious that a lot of um, Aboriginal arts centres on communities around Australia are led by um, non-Indigenous um, artists and art centre workers. So programs like this are extremely important in getting uh, leadership roles out of these art centres. Well, it's gotten to the point now where um, Desert this year actually has gotten me to do um, three different trips. So one of those was a focused one where um, I was working with previous alumni of the curatorial program during the Desert Mob Symposium and actually going into the art centres and teaching them what they want to know. So Teresita Turner from Tongue and Jira wanted to do critical writing of all things, yes. so <laughs> we did critical writing workshops and then, um, you know, another art centre worker was really interested in grants and how to apply for grants and what's available in her, um, where, where she lives and, um, you know, the men in Ali Karung were really interested in the conservation of the, um, the Punu works, so, you know, getting them in contact with our conservator so that they can have that and, yeah, so it's, it's, forming into a beast that's bigger than me. Unreal. Um, I was recently in Darwin um, for a curatorial forum that some um, curators here were involved in as well. It was the second year as par part of Darwin um, Aboriginal Art Fair that curators were brought together to talk about, um, you know, what they're doing and how they're engaging with um, contemporary Indigenous art. Um, it was a really wonderful discussion. This year we had art centre workers, including Teresita, who I got to meet, um, and it really shifted the, the conversation. There were a lot of um, institutional curators in the space um, and inviting art centre workers in who um, are doing so much of the work in that lead-up before artwork hits a gallery, before institutional curators actually get their hands on it, um, was really humbling and it, it created a lot of really interesting discussion. Um, how do you see maybe Bruce? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of art centres around Queensland. Um, how do you engage with those communities um, from your institution and that space? Um, well, uh, in lots of different ways. Um, I guess um, uh, mostly just via email and contacts, as we do with a lot of people. Um, uh, the Art Centre model in Queensland, um, you know, it's, I guess, in its infancy compared to a lot of other places, and, you know, it's riddled with 
lots of problems, to be honest. Um, but, but we keep in contact with um, the communities and the artists through those art centres as much as possible, um, taking trips there whenever we can. But often it's those um, uh, art fairs and, and meetings of, you know, peak bodies that, that do um, create those opportunities for forums and exchanges that, that, that we can do. Um, and then, of course, working... Um, with some of those art centres more in, in a more focused way on, on exhibitions. So you know, the, the Murder in Kangati, John de Saligabori show, um, that was a few years ago now, um, uh, working with, you know, Mornington Island Art um, uh, and, you know, the legal centre and everywhere else that we had to work through on Mornington to, to get that show up was really important and, you know... It, it often couldn't be done if, if those frameworks aren't in place in those remote communities to facilitate, you know, exchange um, uh, between a, a you know big state institution uh, two thousand kilometres away, even though we're in the same state. You know, it's two thousand k's. It's further from between there and 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 Brisbane than it is Melbourne and Brisbane. Um, so you know, those that infrastructure is really crucial, even though. You know, it's often riddled with um, with with issues. Yeah. We're seeing um, as well, I think, a shift in how important public programs and education programs are with all these shows that we're doing, these big-scale shows. Um, I'm really excited to say that um, we've broken a record with this show with the amount of students that have come through, which is just the most extraordinary outcome to have for a show like this. Um, I was really excited about our numbers, but um, you, Bruce, earlier were talking about the amount of people, um, students that have come through um, Tony's show. That's that's a, a huge audience. Can you tell us a bit about those kind of programs and how they feed in? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, Quag Goma has a, a fantastic um, uh, network as well um, uh, of schools that, that we work with, and, and of course the the children's activity or children's art centre and the activities that are run through that are, are really important in engaging that audience and, you know, about, you know, it's about fostering the next generations of people who will come into those spaces and building art literacy across all different forms, including Indigenous art, from when people are really young. Um, you know, it's it's harder to change the minds of people who are, who, who are grown and um, who've grown up with a particular... Um, teaching that art is this, you know, it's this landscape painting rather than, you know, telling children it can be this, like all of these things can be art. Um, so I guess um, we are brainwashing them young, um, which is nice, but, um, you know, we've had fantastic numbers of schools through that space. Um, and, you know, it, it helps that there's a, a, a 50 metre artwork in the space that says, pay attention, motherfuckers. You know, kids love that, all <laughs> selfies and, you know. Um, so, so, you know, it's really engaging um, different audiences at different levels is really important um, in just about everything that I do and that we do at the gallery. Um, so making sure that, 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 you know, people are interested in coming, engaged in what's going on, and then that means that people come back and those numbers continue to grow. Um, I think the role of the curator, even in the time that I've been working in Indigenous arts, a similar time to what you're talking, Bruce, about 16 years, um, I feel like it's shifted a lot. I feel like we've got a lot more maybe freedom in, in how we're um, choosing our ideas to put forward and, and I think artists are kind of leading that in lots of ways. But I think curators are um, 
sort of changing the landscape by getting into these institutions and claiming that space. Um, Tina, is there any anyone or any show or anything that has inspired you in your own curatorial practice from the past that you'd like to We're refer not to? We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Um, no, look, and that was a hard question when we were thinking about it before. What what show has inspired me? I mean, there's there's so many, both in Indigenous specific and, and non-Indigenous, international and national. Um, but I think one show recently that really um, resonated with me is Kanala Richa, which was done by Zoe Rimmer from the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, which is a um, Tasmanian shell necklace touring show um, and when we saw that show in Canberra what I loved about that is because we, we talked about this whole notion of unknown artists unknown makers is that that was one of the first shows that I'd seen where they had instead of having an unknown maker or, or artist she had ancestor and I thought, wow, of course, that's so bleedingly obvious that, you know, at the National Institution we have unknown maker, unknown artist, um, you know, because names weren't always recorded. And, um, I mean, it was so obvious that even though it was a light bulb moment, it was really quite um, wonderful to see um, it written in the labels and that. And so we had at the gallery, um, the National Gallery, we run a... Um, uh, an in, uh, Indigenous arts leadership program for arts workers in the sector every year and um, we're, we're nine years this year doing it. And so it was interesting when we had the group come through this year, we went and saw the show over at the National Museum and a lot of those participants went back to their organisations, you know, at the Australian Museum and as such and then changed their labels. You know, so it's no longer an unknown person. They were known, and so I've noticed that the, you know, National Gallery of Victoria, they've got, you know, um, once that known. Recently, yeah, recently came up in the Darwin forums. Yeah. Um, that Miles Ch uh, Miles Russell Cook, who's curator mm. at National Gallery of Victoria, mm. um, shifted to artist once known. Yeah. Um, and I think Kimberly Moulton, who's here as well, that does a lot of work at Melbourne Museum, was talking about that ongoing dialogue. That mm. there's a lot of spaces that are now talking about that with their collections. And, and how to be respectful mm. um, and deal with that. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's a, that's a really important component where, you know, they were once known, they are our ancestors, they are individuals, just because, um, you know, the, the white person collecting it didn't name them doesn't mean that they're not known. So that, for me, when we're talking about and thinking about it, I think that was one of the, the first, one of the few shows, there's, there's many others as well, but in relation to that labelling, because we are labelled in so many ways um, in our personal lives, professional lives, you know, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the community, but as a worker in an institution, labelling Indigenous creators, um, that was just, yeah, it was, a, it was a great moment, a really, you know, uh, a proud moment um, to see that. So that was one that yeah. inspired me. Kobe, is there a show or an artist or a, an experience that's been really influential for you you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, first, I'd like to um, just um, get my brain working again because it's frozen, thanks to Melbourne. And <laughs> Should we just jump to Bruce the traditional custodians oh, because babe. I was ignorant <laughs> enough to forget that, trying to remember what I do with art centres. Um, 
But, yeah, there's lots of different shows. I think for me um, a really big pivotal moment was when I moved to Sydney and I um, did that on purpose because I wanted to work with an Indigenous curator in an institution because it was something I'd never done and something that seemed to be this big scary thing for a lot of people. And I'm like, okay, I want to figure out what the hell this is all about. And I'm still learning. Don't ask me about my opinion yet because I'm still formulating it. But what I do know is that on, in our first floor talk, I got there just as Cara Pinchbeck, who's the senior curator at the gallery that I work with. Um, she was doing art from Millingimby, taking memories back. Now, that started because Tony Tuxen um, was deputy director and Stuart Scogel was a, um, an anthropologist and a doctor who was fascinated with... Um, uh, something with the knees with Indigenous people. I can't remember what it's called. It's um, got a medical name. Um, <laughs> and, um, cool, cool. And, but he fell in love with um, the art from up there and ended up donating over 150 works in the 1940s and 50s. And Kara um, started to work with the Millingimbi community to um, and take, took you know, photographs of, um, there's a lot of unknown, there's a lot of spears, there's a lot of, um, you know, bull roarers, there's a lot of barks, um, there's a lot of fibre works that don't, didn't have names. And so what she did is she, she worked me through her process and was, I guess, one of the first curators to sit down and do that with me in a lengthy way. And um, she was like, well, I just, I took all of the content and I took it to the community and they nominated um, two people to go through it with me. And so there was a, um, the doctor that had unfortunately passed away a couple of weeks before the exhibition opened. Um, but he sat with Cara and went through the entire collection and um, like a traffic light, that's a green for go, that's a, we'll have to look into it and that's a definite no. And a lot of the things that we had as restricted items that were unknown, he was able to um, uh, name them, name the person who made them and um, and why, you know, for some of them it was like um, this one fella, the um, Jawa, Tom Jawa, he was like the, the leading painter at the time, but his brother-in-law had um, passed away and had given him the catfish story to hold on to, and so Jawa didn't paint the catfish story, but after a particular time he did, because he was holding that story for um, his brother-in-law's um, descendants when they were ready to paint. Um, so going back and finding out those little um, nuances within the relationships that happen in those communities and um, being able to watch the, um, the family members come down and have such pride in seeing those um, objects on display um, and then them reviving some of the practices that, um, you know, um, some of, in, in some of the paintings that were done that, they ha that hadn't been painted by that community for a really long time. And so that um, was a lengthy process for her and it really taught me that I'm an embryo and I really just need, you just need to be very patient and still and listen so much. And so I think 90% of my job is um, listening. I think Annie Jo used to always tell me that you have two ears for listening and one mouth for talking. So shut up. <laughs> Thanks, Kobe. Bruce, is there a moment, an influence that you'd like to share? Um, uh, lots. Um, uh, I mean, 
the way I, I came into art, I guess, is um, that my mother used to work in a grassroots Aboriginal art organisation in Brisbane, in South Brisbane, um, like four blocks away from the gallery. Um, and, you know, we used to run um, exhibitions there. So a lot of the people who inspired me early on were, you know, people from my community, um, you know, Robin O'Chin and... Charlie Chambers, people carving emu eggs and, and doing things like that, making the, the shadow boxes from Schoberg. And um, I guess w one of the first times that I realised that we could go into a space like an art gallery was maybe Balance in 1990, an exhibition at, at Quag, um, which was a beautiful mess of a thing, like um, lots and lots of contradictions. It was a, a, an exhibition of uh, Aboriginal artists and white artists and there were artists who were super grassroots and artists who were, you know, Gordon Bennett and, um, and, and everywhere in between. And, um, uh, you know, uh, it was just something that was done, you know, it needed to be done and it was done and it, had, it was good because it had all of these problems and issues that were, were forced in front of people. It wasn't like we were just throwing up something that was um, pretty um, and for consumption. It was something that worked through a lot of issues and they still exist. None of them are resolved, really. Um, but, you know, it was it was one of those nice messes that, that confronted everybody and people could engage with. Um, so I think that was, that was a really important... Um, uh, show that showed me that we could be in those places, and then I think maybe Lynn Onis's exhibition, which was one of the first exhibitions by a, an urban-based Aboriginal artist that was shown quite widely nationally, um, uh, that we went to because you know my uncles were in the Black Panthers, um, and Lynn was associated with them through the, the activism uh, down in the south as well. So you know my uncles dragged me in to see that one, um, and you know that in, that again showed me that people who were doing that work were more than welcome in those spaces, you know. So, um, so I guess that, it, that inspired me to, to do this sort of work that I'm doing because it, it, um, it you know, those foundations are there from, from that place, but there are all of these issues and so many more things that we need to keep working through. Um, yeah, I think that for me, um, working at Araluen, um, and working with Desert Mob and the energy of the art centres really inspired me. And I think even now, like so many years, you know, 15, 16 years later, um, I, I think I'm still kind of processing that and translating that and thinking about what um, these communities are doing with their art. And I think that has come across even in the show that I'm doing now. Um, so I think these influences are really, really important to who we are and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about the future of curatorial work um, for Indigenous curators. I think, um, Bruce, you just like quickly touched on the fact that there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, Tina, you're in, like you said, a really big um, institution that is non-Indigenous. Um, do you think you'll get to a point where that will shift, that you will have more support? Is that something that you hope for? Tell me. <laughs> um, can I call a friend? <laughs> um, that's a hard No one. swearing, Tina. We, Keep it to a minimum. We do have a long way to go because at like the National Gallery of Australia, we have five 
Aboriginal staff members. And that's, you know, three in curatorial. So we have a long way to go to get Indigenous presence throughout the whole of the gallery, at directorate level, at security level, at all levels. Um, we really need to have um, a comfortable presence in, in the organisation. Um, both with the local community as well as, you know, whoever else would want to come and work and live in Canberra. Um, <laughs> but, um, hey, look, I'm from Darwin, so I love it. Um, but, you know, I think that's why we, you know, just going back to those that leadership program that I was talking about, which, you know, it's so important to be able to bring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people into these institutions and show them that there is um, a level of support, that there are... Um, that it's it's not a scary place, um, and to, to hopefully filter that back to to communities, and that's why that relationship building is so important because it's not just with individual artists, it's with communities, and um, and it's not you know just a nine to five you know five days a week kind of gig, you know wherever you go, you know, <laughs> and that's why you kind of try and travel stealthily, which doesn't work with social media. Um, people know where you are, and and they will try and you know catch up with you so it's 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 worthwhile in 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 the bigger scheme of it all but i think you know we've we do have a long way to go we do need to make institutions um more accessible to communities to um and and you make that more accessible to communities by having indigenous presence in those organizations because they're much more comfortable dealing with uh, an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person in that organisation if they know that, you know, that they can, you know, there's, there's someone that they can be comfortable with. So, yeah, we've, we've certainly got a long way to go, but, you know, if there's something that we can do as an organisation to build the capacity of Indigenous peoples in the sector um, as arts workers, um, you know, then, you know, at least we've, we've played a hopefully played a, a major role in, in increasing the numbers out there because we do. It's our communities, it's our voices that we want to, to to share and to put up front. Um, so, so, yeah, but, yeah, as a national organisation, we've still got a way to go, but there's always hope. And, Bruce, I think you've recently got a new uh, curator working with you. Um, is it hard to get more stuff in there. You know, Tina's talking about how important it is to have a presence. Um, is that a constant battle also in your space? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, uh, Katina Davidson, uh, who's a great um, sort of emerging curator, has started at the gallery quite recently in, a, in the last you know, four months or so. Um, and, and she's been fantastic since coming in. And it's really important that more Indigenous people come in and bring different perspectives and voices because, you know, I, I can't be the only one, you know. We're not all the same. So bringing those different perspectives into the space is really important. Um, you know, I was the only Aboriginal person uh, in the gallery uh, of, you know, 300-odd people. Um, uh, and art is a, a really strange place. It's, you know... probably. <laughs> probably the most exclusive place that white people built, honestly. Um, and um, so it, it's been hard getting the Aboriginal people into that space. Um, you know, we're a government organisation and nowhere else in the government would those numbers be tolerated. So it's a really strange situation that we have in the art where, you know, 
Aboriginal art is used so heavily, Aboriginal culture is used so heavily, but Aboriginal people and voices are heard so little within those institutions. So, you know, for me, you know, if you're asking about the, the future for Aboriginal art, you know, I think we need our own space as well, our own museum and gallery um, where, you know, we can be that majority voice, our voices can be internally within, within the institution, be that dominant voice and driving what's happening. Um, because at the moment, you know, having one person or, you know, once upon a time at, at the gallery there were eight Aboriginal people and that was, you know, this amazing thing amongst Australian galleries where you had, you know, I think maybe 4% of the working force of that gallery be First Nations people. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the sort of level of success that we're talking about. It's kind of crazy to think that 4% is, is, is successful. So flipping that around and, you know, having 86% would, um, 96%, you know, I think that would be successful in the future. And, 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 you know, I think then we can think about, you know, what, what the future is when we can be the dominant voice and, and thought process and driver behind a space. Um, because at the moment, you know, my job is playing catch up, you know, um, you know, marking time, marking place, telling the stories, writing those histories. Um, but, you know, the future, I think, if we can get a space like that, would look very different. Yeah, Kobe. Um, there's a lot of change happening with that Gallery of New South Wales. Um, do you, how do you see your role in that and the Indigenous voice in the future for that place too? Well, it's, um, you know, the Art Gallery of New South Wales, you know, we, we've had some um, curators Hetty publicly left um, in 2011 for um, reasons that were specified all over the media. Um, and I was terrified of going into an institution. I worked mainly with festivals and with one-on-one um, -on -one with artists. I hadn't worked with a permanent collection before. Um, I'd worked at a state gallery, but as, um, you know, an employee for a festival, um, which is very, very different. Um, and when I got there, the first thing that went through my head is, um, I know three Aboriginal people in Sydney, I am fucked. Um, and how did you work through that, Kobe? <laughs> <laughs> Two years down the track. How's that going? Um, I'm getting there. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a slow burn. Like I said, it's an, you're embryonic again, and then... Um, you just, it's, you just have to be patient and, you know, through, we have a lot of programs, so we have like an Indigenous um, student program, JAMU, which was set up ages ago that's been running for ages now. Um, so there's always Indigenous students around. I give more floor talks um, than I do anything else, really, I reckon, um, in terms of public programs and, you know, having young people in the gallery um, makes me feel good. When I first started going there, you know, it was... It was scary, there's these big marble staircases. I'm just this little girl from Darwin. What, do, what did I do to deserve to be in this space or what gives me authority to be in this space? And, you know, rewriting or looking um, at the bios um, that describe Indigenous art and artists um, was, you know, one of my earlier jobs and rewriting some of the things that had been written and, you know, um, the fact that blacks and natives were still in the text. Um, I was depressed by the lack of progression. 
Um, I'm 28, I'm gay, I'm female, I work in the arts, I'm Aboriginal, I'm Filipino, like Australia hates me. <laughs> and I work in one of the biggest visitors, visited galleries there is. Like, it, it's still terrifying and sometimes I find it hard to wake up and go to work. But when I get to work, I know at least I have Cara there and at least I have um, someone who has worked there for long enough to understand that anxiety and to understand that soon my tongue will start flapping and she won't be able to shut me up. <laughs> but I really want more people in those spaces with me because being a younger person in those spaces, um, you know, we do, I, I went on a benefaction trip, that was terrifying. Um, you know, and presenting to benefaction, um, things that I've never done before, acquisition processes, provenance and due diligence, like, I'm constantly going to Cara and saying, um, yeah, no, don't understand, please show me. These words are just big words that I don't get. And she's like, it's just paperwork. Cobes, don't, don't freak out, it's okay. It's just paperwork. Um, but the fact of the matter is that that's one cog in the wheel and it's this big machine that I'm still learning about and it's really interesting how much, um, I guess, um, importance is put on pieces of bloody paper. Like, you know, it's, it's, it baffles me because I'm you know, about relationships. I like to meet artists and see them and go to their home country. So then, like, you know, if I, you know, the first time I went out to Hermansburg and I saw it, the sky is purple. Like, it's purple. They're not lying. The hills are blue. They're not lying. Like, that for me is what makes my soul sing. Um, and having those opportunities as a young person, I just sometimes wish that I had another curator that was my age or younger, and that's why I do a lot of training with people in art centres, because I want to share that, that joy, that little spark of, oh, that, that felt good. That keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah. And I will note, Tina's been talking about the, um, this leadership pro program through NGA. Um, Kobe and I are both alumni of that program. Um, and I think it's been an amazing um, game changer for our industry in skilling people up in creating, you know, those relationships in getting a behind-the-scenes look at what what actually happens in these institutions. And they're long-lasting. Like, Kent's in front of me and I did the program with him and every time I see his smiley face, it just makes me so happy. <laughs> and then to see his art progress and to, you know, I'm sure he watches me grow as well, but we watch each other grow and it is personal. Yeah. No, it's, 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 I, I'm going to keep plugging it because um, <laughs> when you talk about like Katina Davidson, the assistant curator, she went through the program. Kimberly Moulton, who's here today as well, you know, so it's wonderful. We've got over 80 alumni for this leadership program and that's the whole point is that the more that we can, you know, support our people going through the program to get the confidence and, and drive to, to do whatever they want, really, to work in the arts. Like, working in the sector is not necessarily working in an institution, you know. It, it, it might be creating their own business, which a number of the alumni had done. And, uh, you know, just... But we, we're, we're in this creative sector together. And But the more of our voices, the more that we can champion um, 
the better. Um, and like you said, then the more of us where our hearts are singing, you know, we're gonna, there's gonna be a choir that's gonna be drowning out, um, you know, um, histories that are not necessarily written by us. Um, our stories and, and our presence will be, um, be heard um, much, much louder. So, um, yeah, if, if you want to know more about the program, do come and see me afterwards. I've got brochures. Um, but, yeah, like, I think, you know, I, I, I can't... Every year we meet ten new um, inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that come through, and for me it makes my heart sing, you know, meeting these individuals and you see them go out into the world and make a difference, and it's just incredible. So, you know, um, yes, we might not have a great deal in the organisation ourselves, but we're spreading the love out there, and the more that we can do it, the better. So, yeah. Thanks, Tina. Um, so we've just come out of a day, these curators, and I am um, talking to local Aboriginal artists. Um, and it was really wonderful to have interstate curators from important institutions here to just have a chat and um, talk about, for artists to have the opportunity to talk about their practice, where they're going and what they're doing. Um, it is really wonderful to have you guys here and I thought it'd be really nice to um, open up to questions. Um, it's rare to have these guys all here at one time. Um, so if there's things that, that you'd like to ask or talk about, um, that would be really really wonderful, now's, now's the time. So, yeah, thanks guys. <laughs> Kimberly, hello. Hello, um, thank you so much for sharing today. It's really great to have you all in cold Melbourne and um, really respect all of your practices immensely. Um, got a question around uh, creating deeper connections with communities, whether that be you know, where you're living in the city or, or elsewhere. What's one of your biggest barriers working in institutions um, in taking that step in a really meaningful connection and, and project? Funding. <laughs> because organisations, it's not a priority. And you, you do what you can do. If you, like for me, if I know that a community is coming to another organisation in Canberra, I will go and see them and meet them there. You just make the most of whatever opportunities you can, but funding is one of the biggest, um, not just funding, I mean, it's funding and, and cultural understanding um, and that support. If you had that understanding and support by the institution, then that funding would be available, but um, it's not, you know, a priority unless it's project-related or if it's, you know... Um, you know, we, 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 we can't just go and visit, you know, uh, Armada community unless it's project related. Um, it's got to be justified in some way or another. But yeah, it's that, that sort of um, understanding that it's more than just um, driven by, by projects and things. You know, you've got to maintain or establish relationships with, with individuals, with organisations, with communities. Um, and it's really, really important. Um, so I know for me, um, like I know I live in Canberra, but I drive to Melbourne now if I have to, to go and see or meet an individual or an exhibition or an organisation, and I'll self-fund it. Because, you know what, it's, it, it, the, these opportunities just don't come by all the time. So it's, it's worthwhile. But, um, yeah, it can be hard if you don't have that, that money to do it. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles is, is that, that linkage of funding and understanding. For me, anyway. Did anybody have anything to add? Um, yeah, I mean, 
still, yeah, funding funding's important, but uh, it's exacerbated by, you know, um, uh, working with, uh, as, as being, you know, this only or one of two or one of five Indigenous people within an institution, and you're expected to maintain a relationship with everybody sort of across the country, a brief at all of these institutions is national. Um, you're working with communities who, you know, they don't really care for an institutional way of life. You know, they're not always on the phone. They're not going to reply to an email in, in 30 minutes and they don't care about your paper trail. Um, so it's... Uh, the, the Funding is really important, um, not just because we want money and we want to go there, but because it's an important part of establishing that relationship, you know. Um, uh, with a lot of other artists that I've worked with who are also non-Indigenous, um, you know, it, it's much easier to have that, that relationship. But making and maintaining relationships across the country with um, Indigenous communities and, and artists um, from communities that don't have art centres as well is a lot more difficult. So, so having that that funding to 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 maintain that contact is really important. Um, of course, um, you know the more staff you have, the 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 more relationships and networks you can sustain. So, um, so though that sort of sort of basic basic um, arithmetic game is is really important within those institutional spaces and and maintaining those um, networks as well. And I think everybody's got, you know, really busy schedules as well. You know, we're all overworked in these spaces um, at this level that you guys are talking about, um, finding time to visit and to get out onto community or go somewhere different, see something different. It's tricky. Yeah, I think, um, like, Kara and I, we, we balance together. So, um, like, she'll go to Cairns and I'll go to Alice and... Um, so there's um, together we we kind of almost get there, <laughs> um, but it is difficult because you know in between if you look at the indigenous schedule of festivals, that's a full time job right there, just going and showing your face, um, let alone being able to remember everyone's name and their artworks and what they're doing. Um, for for me, it's um, it's definitely about time. Funding, I I think I have a lot of support within my institution. To be honest with you, they haven't said no to a trip ever, so I'm pretty fantastic. Lucky. Yeah, that's great, Kimberly. Does that kind of speak to yeah? Any other questions? Anything? Yeah. Hey, Stephen. Do you want? Someone's coming. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. Um, also, thanks everyone for sharing tonight and the opportunity to um, discuss, I guess, ideas around uh, curation and presentation of art by First Nations people. Um, I guess the, the idea of funding is a bit of a segue to my question in that um, in, in some senses, I, I, I guess it could be generally sort of observed that um, within smaller art spaces, uh, there's an increased opportunity for marginalised group, groups, including First Nations artists, to 
to um, exhibit their work, which is great because I guess in one sense it's, I see that it's coming from the, the top down, so it's some sort of evidence of institutional change perhaps. Um, I guess my question is with those increased um, opportunities to present work as a maybe an artist-run space or, or even to um, present one's own work as an artist, um, how do we best with, you know, I guess these increased opportunities and maybe they're new sorts of things for many sort of artist-run spaces, how um, probably more in terms of their own curatorial practice or frameworks, whether they have a First Nations or otherwise curator as part of making that happen, how do we ensure that, I guess, the shows are, in, to put it one way, meaningful? Okay, so I've noticed in maybe the last five or six years in Melbourne that a lot of artist-run spaces are starting to acknowledge the need for somebody to be on an advisory board, to involve elders and community in um, that process. Um, I think it's at early stages, but there's some exciting things happening. Um, and I think that all helps. I think as artists, you guys are pretty switched on in knowing that you can access a space, but you need to talk about, through that process, what supports you need and what opportunities for these art artist-run spaces um, exist for them to engage with the community um, better. Yeah, so I think those shifts are happening and I think it's all of our responsibility to just keep pushing for that um, because I think there, there is that interest um, from the wider arts community to, to get artists into those spaces um, and they don't always know how to do it. So unfortunately it does kind of come back to us sort of, you know, being a part of a board or um, putting artists forward that, um, you know, can support other artists and things like that. Um, yeah. Communication. Yeah, totally. Sharing. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Have you guys got something to add along those lines? <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. Is that all right, Stephen? Yeah. Have we got any other questions or ideas anyone wants to put, put to our, our panel? Hi, um, uh, Shari Seppens, she's an Indigenous actor and playwright. She, I was recently reading about how she was saying that there's a bit of a burnout being, say, she may have gotten, someone may have an amazing three-month um, uh, Aboriginal fellowship in a theatre or something like that, and um, it's a fantastic opportunity, but being the only indi Indigenous person there can be exhausting and there's, um, there's a burnout that, that is quite common and across the arts, um, I imagine, in general. Um, my question to you guys is, have you experienced that yourself? And I can imagine that... Um, how, do you, how much time do you spend trying to explain to people <laughs> who are ignorant in the industry and how often do you have to justify the need for um, and the importance for um, more of a First Nations space and funding. And um, yeah, how do you develop your time but for the work that you actually have to do and 
how often you have to spend time with these kind of people and do you get burnt out? How do you cope? Yeah. Um, burnout is, is a huge issue. Um, um, you know, we spend all day um, in, a, in a white institution. Um, we have to entertain you know, often you know, rich white people all the time who often have, you know, inherited money from, from a very long time ago, most often you know, from the country of our families and, um, and, and they kind of often are, are in a bit of a bubble and haven't changed since that period when they inherited the money, unfortunately. So, I mean, you know, these are the things that we deal with every day. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's a hard space to, to navigate. Um, you need really strong support networks outside of the institution because they're just not in the institution, really. Um, um, you know, uh, you know, I've I've been close to quitting hundreds of times. You know, my auntie's just said, you know, it's just important that we have somebody in there. You know, stick at it if you can. Um, uh, and you know, that's just a, a reality of what we do and, and the the space that that we're we're inhibiting. Um, as to the question of kind of um, proving our worth in the institution. Um, I don't feel the need to do that. I mean, I just do better shows than anyone else. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no we, we've, we've got great artists. We, you know, the, the work that we, we've got, you know, people want to see it, you know. Um, you know, there's a lot of people here tonight who are interested in this stuff, you know. Um, so, so it's not my, my uh, well, it's part of my job to, to, to justify that, but we just do it through what we do um, and we just have to do it well. Um, that's what we're paid to do and that's what is expected from our institutions, but more so from our community. So, you know, we have that responsibility to them to, to do that. And if we're doing that well in terms of our communities, then, you know, the everything else kind of falls into line. Um, our communities have a decent sway with the government as well too, so if we're doing the right thing in our communities, um, it gets back to you know, the government through different ways too. So um, I, I don't feel the need to, to justify myself. I just am there to, to assert the presence of you know, um, my communities within that space. I think for me, the lightness of spirit as the measure of happiness speaks to that. Um, I, it was really important to me to create a show that talked about the resilience of our communities, the strength of our communities, and um, I found humour as a way in to talk about that through this show. Um, and you'll notice there's been a few jokes cracked that um, alleviate that kind of tension around these heavy ideas. Um, I think that, yeah, we are a really resilient community and we've had a few generations now that have had to deal with that kind of pressure um, and it all comes back to strong family, community support um, and making sure that you've got mentors and strong leaders around you that you can either debrief with or get guidance from um, to help deal with that because that is, yeah, that is our reality, I think, yeah. Burnout, it's very, very real. Um, for me, I, I, 
Yeah, it's constant. You, you just... If you don't have your colleagues on speed dial, like, oh, this is the day I'm having, just knowing that a, that, that day will, will pass. But for me, it's that balance of why I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for. And I do it for the communities, for the artists and that. And if they get... If they get... Um, pleasure and joy out of what, you know, we're doing, then my first and foremost job is done and everybody else will get the rest. When I see um, exhibitions and works like the cowboy one, I'm sorry, I don't know what it's called, film. Never stop writing. Yeah, <laughs> never stop writing. Like when you see films like that, you think, you know what, this makes my heart sing. This is why we do what we do, why we put up with the garbage that we put up, with the racism, with the discrimination, with a whole range of things that you deal with, with benefactors, with ignorant people. Like, you you deal... Because, you know, as one of the few Indigenous peoples in the organisations, you're the one that's sent out to deal with this stuff, you know? Um, you know, like, for example, like with Defying Empire, you know, it was commemorating the 50th anniversary of the 1967 referendum. Before the show had even opened, I got a complaint from a person that said, oh, I've seen the ads for it, I'm refusing to see it because, you know, it's just going to be that... that white bashing shit. And it's like, well, hang on a second, do you know what it's about? And this is what the artist, blah, 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 spoke to him about it. He was like, well, well, fine, and you know, maybe I'll see it. And I'm like, well, I'm thinking, well, I don't really care if you do or don't, but, and in the end he said, and well, by the way, I voted yes. And I'm like, well, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> like, I don't get it. So it's really, it's really hard and it's frustrating when you, you have to deal with, there's so much, not just with your community, you know, who might be frustrated with an organisation, the institution, saying, like, you know, um, you know, you cop it from communities, you cop it from black people, white people, but you do it for the artists and the communities that you're dealing with. And when you see magnificent works like that, which just makes your heart sing and you need those reminders, that's what, what gets you through. Tomorrow's another day. Take a deep breath, vent... Um, take a deep breath and, and you just keep playing on. And, you know, we've been here for 60,000 plus years. We ain't going nowhere. So, you know. Thanks, Tina. I sometimes curse the fact that I'm gay and wish that I could get pregnant and go on maternity leave. <laughs> science, Kobe. Planning and I science. I sometimes use the disabled toilet hoping I might sit on the toilet seat and get pregnant. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I think I see a psychologist every, um, you know, between every week and every two to three weeks, depending on how things are going. Um, it's hard to go from teaching people in third world conditions in the middle of the desert to um, showing benefactors around that have, um, it's, um, this is going to sound really rude, but spot the person who hasn't had Botox. Um, or, you know, looking at the designer clothes that they're wearing and that disparity between... That can happen in one week. That can happen in one day. I can go from one place to the next. And that's, as a young person, really difficult, really, really hard. But like Tina said, I'm doing it for those people. I have to remember that my life has purpose in those spaces. And that gives me strength because I have purpose. I'm, I'm sitting in that office and giving those talks because the people that I'm talking about don't have a voice if I'm not there.
Thank you. Thank you, Kobe. All right. Well, thank you all so much. It was, um, I've had a really lovely day with you, you guys, and I hope to get up to see APT and um, Mildura to see, yeah, the Defying Empire. Congratulations, Hannah. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Kobe. Um, and thank you all for coming. Thanks. listening to an ACCA podcast recorded by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. To listen to more from us, subscribe to ACCA on Apple Podcasts or follow ACCA on SoundCloud. To find out more about our exhibitions and programs, visit acca.melbourne and sign up to our mailing list.